This is an ABC podcast. Good morning and welcome to AM. I'm Kim Landers, coming to you from Gadigal Land. The World Health Organisation is appearing to endorse the decision by some countries, including Australia, to impose pre-departure tests on travellers from China. The new rules are now in effect, meaning passengers have to show a negative COVID test before boarding their flight here. WHO Emergencies Chief Dr Michael Ryan says the testing is not an excessive measure as countries try to do a risk assessment of the COVID situation in China. So what impact, if any, are the new rules have? on people's travel plans. Reporter Oliver Gordon has been in Melbourne's Chinatown trying to find out. At a small travel agency behind a fresh noodle shop on Swanston Street, international student Yudzia Bai is booking tickets to see her family back home. Yeah, I miss them so much because it's such a long time we didn't meet each other together yet and I really look forward to see them. She'll travel back to China in the coming weeks and will most likely have to return a negative test before coming back. That's not an issue for her. I think it is a protection of uh, the people living in Australia because we all know the COVID-19 virus that will uh, affect our well-being. Down the road, Chinese-Australian herbalist Alex has a similar view. Yeah, I think it's fair because they all are having COVID <laughs> back in China now, so I think it's reasonable, yeah. Unlike Yu Bai, though, Alex is in no rush to get back to her country of origin. It's still kind of quite a mess there, and uh, I, I, I still want to wait, wait for like a few months to see if their uh, policy change, just in case. Is it because there's too much COVID? Uh, uh, one of the reasons is the COVID cases. And uh, the other reason is um, their policy kind of changed uh, rapidly. Uh, I, I'm afraid if I go back, like now, uh, if they change their policy uh, when I was in China, maybe I can uh, go back to Australia. Yeah, I'm afraid of that. It's been a tough few years for Chinese-Australian travel agent Christine. We used to have thousands of thousands of groups from China. Yeah, we have coach company and then because of the pandemic, we sold most of our buses. She understands the Australian government's reasons for requiring inbound travellers return a negative test but says it's sending a negative message to her clients in China. I know the government needs to prepare the local, you know, the Australian people. We, it's good sort of um, to do that, to be honest. And, uh, but it will have some impact on the tourists. While things have gotten better in recent months, she says many in China are still concerned about the relationship between the Chinese and Australian governments. The government, you know, two governments still have some problems and uh, they don't really have face to travel to Australia. And since China's COVID wave has taken off, both inbound and outbound bookings have slowed. The COVID situation is getting a bit serious now at the moment. It stopped them. She's hopeful travel between the two countries will return to the levels of the past, but admits it might not be for a while. I think the market is still there, but it will take a little bit longer. Chinese-Australian travel agent Christine ending Oliver Gordon's report. 
The World Health Organization says it's worried about the risk to life in China from COVID as it criticises Beijing for continuing to underreport the true scale of the outbreak. The removal of most of the COVID zero restrictions has led to a massive surge, but China has stopped publishing daily case numbers and has only announced 22 deaths since December. Nell Whitehead has more. With reports of overwhelmed hospitals, fever clinics and crematoriums in China, the head of the World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, warns of a worsening crisis. WHO is concerned about the risk to life in China and has reiterated the importance of vaccination, including booster doses to protect against hospitalization, severe disease and death. Officially, the country has counted only a handful of deaths since it abandoned its COVID zero policy. Here's the WHO's emergency director, Dr. Michael Ryan. We believe that the, the current numbers being, being published from, from China underrepresent the true impact of the disease in terms of hospital admissions, in terms of uh, ICU admissions, and particularly in terms of deaths. Last month, China changed its criteria for measuring COVID deaths. It now counts only those who die of respiratory illnesses, a definition that goes against WHO guidance and which the organisation says is too narrow. The WHO says it's increased its engagement with Chinese officials, but is asking for more data. It's also very important that we do not discourage doctors and nurses reporting on uh, these deaths or these cases and that we have an open approach to be able to record the actual impact of the disease. More than a dozen countries, including Australia, have announced mandatory COVID tests for travellers from China in recent days. Beijing complains that's politically motivated and threatens to retaliate, but the WHO says precautionary measures are not excessive. Many countries have felt that they don't have enough information to base their risk assessment, so they're taking a precautionary approach and requiring testing. I would hope that as China reports more data, that uh, countries would then have more information on which to base maybe more precise, more rational policies regarding testing. The WHO says that no new COVID variants have been detected in China, despite the surge in cases. But that's based on the information that it's been provided, and it warns that testing rates have also fallen. A British analytics company, Affinity, predicts that China's outbreak will peak in the middle of this month at 3.7 million new cases a day. By late January, it predicts that COVID deaths will reach around 25,000 a day. That's roughly equivalent to China's normal daily death toll from all other causes. Nell Whitehead reporting. The Australian Army is getting a big boost to its long-range strike capability with the purchase of the same US-made missile system that Ukraine is using against Russia. As well as buying the system known as HIMARS, the Albanese government's announced it's also signed a deal to acquire Norwegian-made anti-ship missiles for the Navy. The cost of both acquisitions is being kept secret but could reach $2 billion. His defence correspondent, Andrew Green. Long-range and deadly effective, the high-mobility artillery rocket system known commonly as HIMARS has for months been used by Ukraine's army with devastating results against invading Russian forces. On New Year's Day, a Ukrainian HIMARS strike killed dozens of Russian soldiers in the Donetsk region. The Lockheed Martin produced weapons system donated by the United States has repeatedly earned high praise from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. 
The word HIMARS has become almost synonymous with the word justice for our country, and the Ukrainian Defense Forces will do everything to ensure that the occupiers experience more and more painful losses every week thanks to these very effective systems. Seven months ago, the US Congress was first notified about a possible sale to Australia, and today the Albanese government has announced it's finalised a HIMARS purchase. Defence Industry Minister Pat Conroy says the Australian Army should have them by 2026. We'll have an Army ground-launched missile that can reach targets up to 300 kilometres away, and we're part of a developmental program in the United States called the Precision Strike Missile that allow Army to hit targets in excess of 499 kilometres. So this will give the Australian Army a strike capability they've never had before. The government's also announced it signed a deal with Norwegian company Kongsberg for naval strike missiles to replace the ageing Harpoon anti-ship missile on the Navy's Hobart-class destroyers and Anzac-class frigates from next year. That purchase was first flagged back in April, along with the decision to buy long-range air-to- surface missiles by then Defence Minister Peter Dutton. This is about Australia being prepared and making sure that we can stare down any active bullying against our country. Labor has confirmed the HIMARS and naval strike missiles will together cost over $1 billion, but Minister Conroy says precise details are being kept hidden. We won't be disclosing the total cost of the two announcements. The two combined costs is uh, between $1 and $2 billion. The reason we're not disclosing the specific amount is that gives information to potential adversaries that isn't useful being up there. Pat Conroy says during an October visit to the United States, he held productive discussions with the Army and Lockheed Martin on how Australia could start producing the rockets used in HIMARS. Andrew Green reporting. The Defence Force is starting to evacuate people from Western Australia's Kimberley region because of flooding caused by ex-tropical cyclone Ellie. Record flooding in the town of Fitzroy Crossing has now peaked after damaging homes and the main bridge, while new evacuation centres have been set up in Broome and Derby, as John Daly reports. Yes! Yes! Get him! (laughs) Come on, buddy! Dozens of evacuees, marooned by the record-breaking flood at Fitzroy Crossing, make use of the time by saving wallabies and calves from the raging floodwaters. We've got small baby calves. Uh, We've managed to save. We've got one in the pool area at the moment. Lots of wallabies, uh, birds. We've got snakes holding on to the railing here. Do you have any kids, Amelia? Yes, I've got my two-and-a-half-year-old son. Well, he's nearly three now, Um, Charlie with us and his, I I can't believe for two and a half that he's actually been rescuing little baby birds and animals that he finds. That's Amelia Craig and she's among the evacuees held up at the Fitzroy River Lodge on the opposite side of the Fitzroy River to the town. She's struggling to come to terms with the extent of the damage caused by the record-breaking flood. Currently our home is completely underwater. Um, On the Monday when we drove out I swam through my front gate to get out with my partner and we just got basically the essential items. Peter O'Halloran and his wife are also taking refuge at the lodge. Their home for the last 40 years has been damaged. We've got to go back home and have a look and see what's happening. But I'd say there's not going to be much left. It'd be 40 years of hard work and everything probably just about 
pretty well destroyed. Yeah, uh, it makes me cry to tell you this, mate, but I'm not, I'm not a happy bear. But, but we're just going to carry on. We'll, we'll, we'll come back. We'll fight back somehow and uh, see how we go. To make matters worse, there are reports of looting of evacuated properties. Kandula Harat manages the Fitzroy River Lodge and the local pub in town. He says opportunistic thieves have targeted both. So my staff, you know, we were, we were telling them, like, you know, just to get a, only one backpack for you to relocate. So we relocated everyone with their one backpack. And uh, another two boats with the local, some local people um, tried to break into these older rooms. Staff called us because they know that no one's there. That's adding the more fresher into the people. Yeah, it's very disappointing. Yeah, no words for it. All right, we've just got a chopper going over again. The ADF has been deployed to help with evacuations. Two C-130 Hercules military aircrafts are flying in today to relocate people as the evacuation centre in town reaches capacity. Amelia Craig says after the immediate emergency passes, the community will need help to recover from this disaster. There will be people that won't even have anywhere to live unless the army come and help us, you know, with the clean-up, because we just don't have the resources here. All the resources have either headed downstream now you know, I don't know if there's any graders or anything like that, but they're the sorts of things that we need here to start clearing them. That'll be the next step to clear the mud and the dead animals because the smell is uh, going to be just unbelievable. And you, then you've got sewage in the, in the mix as well. So, yeah, it's mm, not good. Fitzroy Crossing resident Amelia Craig, John Daly reporting. Victoria and New South Wales are calling for a major overhaul of the country's GP network, describing it as a broken system in desperate need of repair. Doctors are backing them, urging the federal government to embark on ambitious reform. Political reporter Claudia Long has more. Doctors have been calling for major changes to Medicare and the GP system for years. Now two state premiers want the issue on the agenda at the next national cabinet. Their call has been welcomed by Professor Steve Robson, Federal President of the Australian Medical Association. It is a very old system and apart from some tinkering there hasn't been major reform for a long time and we think it is time for bold reform to move forward in 2023. Professor Robson says Australians are older and have more chronic complex conditions than in the 1970s and 80s and big changes are needed. There is an important case now to expand health expenditure and to do it in a clever way. He says boosting support for primary care would keep more patients out of hospitals or help patients get home sooner and an increase in funding would pay for itself in the long run. Even though the government is uh, holding the line that it has a, a very difficult fiscal position with a trillion dollars in debt, but we can tell you that getting Australians healthy, working, holidaying, moving and spending is the best way to move the economy forward, and they can do that best if they're healthy. Even though the date for the next National Cabinet meeting hasn't been set yet, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews is making his position clear. We can't have a situation where Medicare doesn't work Work, and all of those patients, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of patients across the nation, are forced into already busy emergency departments. New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet agrees. He's been calling for big changes since mid last year. If we can't reform the health system after a one in 100 year pandemic, uh, then we never will. Dr Nicole Higgins is the president of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. Medicare's been, uh, was frozen for six years and it's been poorly indexed. Whilst there's been increased uh, spending going on the state hospital system. 
the college is calling on the government to triple the bulk billing incentive for vulnerable patients and give more support to GPs in rural areas too. Rural Australia is very dependent on doctors who come in from overseas. They're half of our workforce. These doctors who are now wanting to come to Australia and work in rural regional now have to actually pay for the privilege to become a specialist GP of up to $40,000. So we would like the government to subsidise that. The government is currently reviewing Medicare, but what needs to happen is it needs an urgent injection of funds, something straight away to ensure that general practice doesn't fall over. Uh, We're in dire straits at the moment. In a statement to AM, the Health Minister, Mark Butler, said the government was investing $2.9 billion into primary health care, including Medicare and the GP network. Claudia Long. The deadlock in the US Congress is continuing for a second day, with Republicans still failing to elect a speaker. A stubborn band of hardline Republicans is refusing to back Kevin McCarthy's leadership bid. North America correspondent Barbara Miller is on Capitol Hill in Washington. Barbara, it's a new day. Have Kevin McCarthy's hopes of becoming Speaker of the House improved? I think, if anything, they've perhaps diminished a little. Um, He's certainly not picking up any votes uh, and in the fourth round of voting, he, he lost a vote in, in that someone decided to sit it out. Um, despite that, despite the fact that in late night meetings, there appears to have been no breakthrough uh, between the McCarthy team and this group of around 20 people who really don't want him to become speaker. As he walked into the House today, he said that it was the same game plan as yesterday and that he was talking to those people. Uh, the, the person who nominated him. He has to be nominated formally on each round of voting. There have been five so far. On the fourth round, it was the turn of uh, Mike Gallagher uh, from Wisconsin. Now, in his speech, he acknowledged uh, that it was a difficult situation that the party found itself in. Sure, it looks messy, but democracy is messy. Democracy is messy by, by design, by design. And that's a feature, that's a feature, not a bug of our system. We air it all out in the open for the American people to see. So, Barb, messy indeed, but is there any sign that those opposing Kevin McCarthy are going to budge? Not at all. In fact, they're now uniting behind uh, a different candidate. Yesterday it was Jim Jordan, today Byron Donalds. Uh, They seem absolutely firm in their resolve that they do not want Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House. Now, we saw the former President Donald Trump uh, on his social media platform urge the group to get the job done to avoid, he said, you know, an embarrassing, turning their triumph in the election into an embarrassing defeat. Uh, But Lauren Boebert, uh, one of the ringleaders of this rebellion, uh, told the House that Donald Trump had been trying to influence the outcome, but she wanted him to change tack. So let's work together. Let's stop with the campaign smears and tactics to get people to turn against us. Even having my favorite president call us and tell us we need to knock this off. I think it actually needs to be reversed. The president needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes and it's time to withdraw. Uh, And so, Kim, we remain in this um, very extraordinary situation that nothing can be done in the House and no one can be sworn in until this um, deadlock can be broken. 
Correspondent Barbara Miller on Capitol Hill. And that is AM for today. Thanks for your company. I'm Kim Landers. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.